This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails presented by Data.World. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, customer guy, product guy at Data.World, joined by co-host Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim. Um, Juan Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure. Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, and time to drink some cocktails and talk to in data. a special place in a special with place a special guest we are here live from san diego at the end of dgiq the data governance information quality conference and we are at this really nice restaurant where we're going to have our honest no bs dinner with our special guest how are you i'm good how are you i am so excited that we're finally having this because here's a little bit of backstory at the last dgiq in dc in december I'm having dinner, uh, we're having lunch or dinner, I don't know, with Malcolm Hawker, right? And suddenly, I think he just shows up at our table. And we just had the most awesome conversation about, I mean, all over the thing, all over the place. And I, I immediately said, I agree, you need to be in the podcast. That's it. And we yeah. finally made it happen. I said, you know what? We, I want to do this live, and we waited six yes. months to get it. So this is so cool. I'm so excited you're here. Well, thanks for having me. I was looking for the chattiest table in the room. and. Obviously, Juan was up and, you thing, right? it. Like, and it was mostly a conversation about podcasts. So it was a great time. Yeah. And so you're the uh, manager of data governance at American Express. We're going to go talk a lot about uh, data governance and change management stuff. But before we get there, uh, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for? Yeah. Well, you, want, you want to start with yours? This is an apricot honey cocktail with sea foam, which is apparently different from aquafaba and from egg whites. But it's the foam part, which is gone now. But it's delicious. <laughs> Nice. That looks great. I have a uh, black margarita. It's got some black sea salt around it, and it's got um, a few other really tasty ingredients. I forget exactly, but it tastes really good. So, yeah. And you ordered mine. So what is this? Yours is a raw honey old-fashioned. They make their own honey here. So yeah. That's... So it's a uh, B-side. It's the honey's the theme, right? Honey is the theme. And what are we gonna What are we gonna cheers. cheers for? What are we gonna toast? Cheers to the California sun. Yeah, California yeah. sun. Yeah, we're actually seeing the ocean we can right see there. The beach right across yes. the way. Yeah, cheers. 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 Yeah. cheers. All right. So we have our warm up question. And it's because the title of this was supposed to be There is no I in data teams, but I changed it to data governance. Anyways, question <laughs> is What team sport did you always wish you were good at that you never were? Okay, so I'm a really good team player, but I'm really bad at sports. So I, all the sports, I wish I was good at sports um, in general, but I was like an art kid and I would just like make a lot of friends and then we would go and do arts and socialize. So um, I don't know, probably all of them. <laughs> I kind of, I wish I could score a basket in basketball. That's probably like the key. I was I've never something. done that, but I was on a basketball team for a while and okay. never scored a basket. Yeah, for me, it's, I think, basketball. I'm like, I like basketball as a kid, or I don't play it, but I wasn't really good at it. <laughs> I'm too short to score a basket. Can't be expected to do that. <laughs> How about you, Tim? I think for me, it would be uh, soccer, where I really enjoyed soccer. I played it throughout a lot of my youth, but um, I, I could never score a goal. I just like I would kick the ball and it would go in a weird direction. Yeah. And I was kind of bad at goalie, so I would always be a midfielder because I was good at running. So they just had me run around all over the place. You're just like looking for the ball constantly, <laughs> yeah. running back and forth. Just chase the ball. I love that. Oh, all right. Well, talking about chasing the ball and stuff, let's let's kick this off. And yeah. all right, honest no BS. What does change management and data governance have to? What does it mean for those things to go together? Yeah. So data governance at a lot of places is brand new, and so you're changing the culture. And that's why we talk a lot about change management. Um, change management usually uh, entails of three different things, people, processes, and tech. And my focus for a really long time has been the people side of change management and how do you get people okay with change. A lot of the work done in the change management space is from HR, it's from human resources. Um, and so a lot of people in data are learning about it and starting to adopt different models and get more into like what change management means for us in the data space. So one thing I really want to go into is that you have so much experience starting like being governance as a person of one, team, a team of one right yeah. now, American Express, kind of a, a much larger organization. Tell us a little bit about kind of what you've gone through and how does that people aspect come in and the change of experience? Because I think yeah. you have that really unique point of view that a lot of people listening, we were at DJIQ this week, right? Mm -hmm. 
there's people who are like, oh, I'm in this world and that other world. Like, yeah. how does yeah. that go? Most people haven't seen the full spectrum. Yeah, you so have. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I think where I first got introduced to like change management for real was in the nonprofit space. So when you're working on nonprofits, you're always trying to change culture, whether that's within you know your community or your city or just like the landscape of whatever cause you're trying to work on. That's where I really learned about the people side. But um, from a data governance perspective, I used to be at a company where I theoretically, like basically was a team of one. And so um, I was doing everything from setting up the policies and, you know, figuring out what, what people would work on what to being an admin for our software to working with the clients and gathering information, recording that information, making sure it was good quality. I did all of that um, for almost a year now. I've been at American Express. Um, and American Express is a much larger company and also has a much larger data governance team. So it's, an, it's been an interesting shift. We follow a federated model, which means that there is enterprise data governance and they um, they set up the policies, they set up the tooling, they do all of that. And then me as a federated member of a, of a business line, um, I get to implement all those policies and really work hands-on with our clients and our data um, and figure out what that what data governance means to the people doing the work. That is so super cool. it's a really different mindset yeah. to go into because I'm working a lot heavier on the change management yeah. side because I have more time. I'm not working on policy as much and I'm not working on tooling as much and I'm not you know changing code or doing any of that. So it's been really cool to dive deeper and learn more about our products and our people um, and our customers. So yeah, most folks haven't seen those two extremes. And I think Amex probably has a very large and mature governance organization. Yeah. And, and I'm really curious about, so tying this back to change management, how is change management different in like a one person governance team versus a really large governance team? And in particular with the latter, like to some degree, there's a, an assumption that like, oh, well, because you have such a large governance team, people kind of know what governance is and it's a more formalized process. But yet at the same time, change management is probably so much harder because you're trying to affect, you know, tens of thousands of people and affect what they're doing. So yeah. like, how is change management different in those you different know, paradigms? I think the theory is the same. So mm. You're doing the same stuff. You are doing it to a lot more people. Mm. So there's more people that have to process the change. There's more people that are going through these journeys. Um, there's a lot more people to train. There's a lot more people to talk to. There's a lot more people to understand. But you're doing the same stuff. So um, Quan and I were chatting a little bit this week, and uh, we were talking about how I really like to use the term change leadership, not change management, because a lot of change management theory talks about how change people people are resistors and people are upset about change, and you have to manage these people. But really, you have to lead them. You need to inspire them. You need to bring them into the process. You need to figure out what they need and figure out how to address that. So I think change should be led, not managed. Um, and think about the differences between leading a team of 20 versus leading 40, right? You're doing the same stuff. You just have to do it for more people. So it takes more time and more energy and you're spending more individual energy with folks. Um, but you also have more champions. You also have more people that are excited about what you're doing. You have more people that you can cater this to. You have more opinions, which means you have more diverse opinions. Um, well, hopefully you have more diverse opinions and that means you're getting more insights. Um, so I think it's it's a lot of the same. Um, it's just a different yeah. scale. You, you still need to identify your champions. You still need to build out your stewardship model. Yes. Having governance committees, all the same things apply. It's just at a much larger scale. Yep. And also it seems like more specialization. Like for example, you're not having to spend as much time on administrative uh, work and things like that, right? Yeah, well, our teams are just larger, right? So a, a one person data governance shop is using more volunteers in their company. So uh, that's why I like to call them volunteers. They're people that are not resourced to be a part of your data Ooh, governance. That, that, that's, a, that, that's an excellent point is that if you're that one team, like you're no, you don't have more people on your team. So they're volunteers. Yeah, you're you're going around your company looking for champions, looking for people that are excited about your cause, just like we do in nonprofit spaces, right? You're looking for people that are pumped about what you're doing, want to be involved in it. You're bringing them in, you're figuring out what makes them tick. Like, how do they love to be recognized? Do they want a little gift at the end of the year? Like, what do they right. need to be a part of this process? Um, if you have employees, that's a little easier because now they're paid and they have to do it, right? There's performance reviews. So it's just the motivations are a little bit different, but you're doing a lot of the same stuff. So you have a nonprofit background. I do. And this is super fascinating because, like, I love how we, I mean, we always want to make analogies and things. And 
make connect the dots here of like nonprofit and with governance and how that actually helps to incentivize, motivate, and actually lead to change. Yeah, so I'm actually doing a workshop tomorrow at DGIQ. So I know you said conference is over, but people people add on um, a day session or a two day oh, session. Yeah. And I'm excited to be talking about that. But my whole model that I talk about is focused on my experience in the nonprofit space as well as the data governance space. Because I think they're really similar. So when you're at a nonprofit, you are addressing a problem that's largely ignored. Um, right, so your community is not taking care of this problem. You saw a need, you're addressing it. Um, and a lot of companies, the people who end up running the data governance department are the people who identified the issue. Right, so you go to your leadership and you say, hey, this data is not great quality. I think it needs to be better. And then they're like, sounds good. You seem like you know what you're talking about. You are in charge of this now. So you get voluntold to do it, just like in nonprofits. If you're the person who identifies the issue, you're probably leading it. And then you don't have a lot of people who are resourced to be a part of your team. So you're looking for volunteers, just like nonprofits are. Um, I started a nonprofit in Lincoln, Nebraska that taught girls to code. And when I started, there were three of us and um, we grew and we have over 250 volunteers now. We still have no employees. That is awesome. So yeah, and I've recently stepped away, but um, which means we have a whole new leadership team. Um, and that's really similar to governance work too, right? You're not gonna be as the founder of this or as the person who started the governance work, you're not gonna be in it forever. So your goal is to set it up really well so that somebody else can take it and run with it. Um, you're also very low on funding. Every dollar in a nonprofit is extremely hard to get, so you have to be very careful with how you spend it. Just like every dollar in a governance organization is extremely hard to get, so you have to be very careful how you spend it. Um, and you're doing a lot of education and training. A lot of people don't know what you're doing. Um, you're gonna be doing a lot of pitching. You're essentially a fundraiser. You're essentially a salesperson. Yeah. Um, and you're all of these things kind of wrapped into one human, which is what you are usually at a nonprofit when you're starting it. So I do take a lot from my nonprofit background because I feel like they're very similar. And uh, during my presentations, I always have to start off with like, okay, why did I tell you about all of my nonprofit background? And it's because you're using the same skills. Um, you're an entrepreneur and you are using entrepreneurial skills but you have no avenues for getting funding. You have to figure those out on your own. You, No one around you understands what you're doing. You have to sell the idea. And a lot of the people who are funding your program are not gonna be beneficiaries of it. And so how, that's exactly how nonprofits work, right? Your donors are not benefiting from your cause. So you have to figure out other ways to pitch it or to sell them on your idea. Well, so, it's not on. like a sale, it's but not let, like selling a product. But let, let, let's, let, let me go push on this one. You said uh, funding the program, what, People who are funding the program would always benefit from the from the cause. It, I mean, for data governance, like, wouldn't shouldn't we make the argument that everybody is going to be benefiting yes. indirectly, indirectly? You're I mean, right, but the, it takes a while to set up a data governance program. Okay, so they the won't thing, see right? the benefit. In any They're not going to see it immediately. A lot of the times, you're going up to like a senior leader, and you're saying, "Hey, here's a vision I see, and I think this vision is very important for our corporation or our you know state government or." department or whatever you're selling this to, but maybe you're not gonna be here for it because it's a vision. And that's why we talk about visioning, that's nonprofits, right? Like my nonprofit, the goal was to, our, our vision was to have equity in, um, in fields of STEM, like girls and boys should be equal in STEM fields. I'm probably not gonna see that in my lifetime. Hopefully I'll see movement towards it. I'll see like incremental change um but it's not going to be solved just like every company is not going to become a data governance expert they're not going to win a data governance award right but they're going to get better and the goal is better not perfect um and the goal is progress not perfection and yeah. so we're just trying to get a little bit better little by little and seeing how much progress we can make and that's the vision you're selling um so to some degree that's such a kind perspective on it which i love right but yeah. like like the, the the counterpoint that i think in my mind is a little bit like you know we, we there's always these stats of like oh the cdo only has like 24 months really or 36 months in their role before you know they cycle through and the next cdo comes in with their own agenda yeah um you know how do you deal with that short-term focus yeah. sometimes you know not just in i mean in nonprofits i'm sure it happens all the time too all the time yeah. but also in you know in the corporate environment as well yeah so i, I think I think the, the the question is the answer. Data governance is about recording knowledge that's been in the company for so long. There are people doing this work. They're around you. 
you just have to find them and you have to incentivize them to record this stuff. Um, somebody knows what customer means because they use that data. How do you get those people to write it down so that it lives beyond an important, right? It lives beyond their tenure. It lives beyond that project. It lives beyond whatever that is. Um, data governance is not a project. It's a program. That's I, We hear this constantly, this constantly right? yes. All the time people say that. But it's really a journey. Um, and it's a long journey. And so you want to get a little bit further. You want to be a little bit better every time. And that's just, that's how nonprofits so, work, too. So what is the... What, how would you describe the data governance vision? And and one is there a generic vision for all organizations or or, or, or specific or ones? And in your experience, what has been how have you pitched that data governance vision? Like you would yeah. pitch the vision of your nonprofit. So my favorite thing to do is called data therapy. Um, yes, and I use this word too. Really? Data yes, I, I thought it. I coined it, Juan. No. <laughs> Don't get to play. You guys have lineage. We'll copyright it, Juan and Dr. Um, so. I have a model for like data therapy. So by the way, sorry. In a talk last uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday by uh, Aaron Wilkerson, who will be a guest soon, um, somebody was having this discussion, and I said data therapy, and somebody says like, yes, and actually, I'm I get called the mom because people like I come yeah. in, I hug them. Anyway, this is hard. Nice. <laughs> but well, like I have a whole data therapy model that I use, and what I do is I call somebody in like a business partner or a subject matter expert into a room, a WebEx call, a Zoom, whatever. And we just listen to their data problems. And your vision for data governance should be built on a problem that your department or your company is experiencing. So that's the best vision, right? You need a real life issue that you can solve through data governance. Um, very often people use things like our data, we have data across the company, not everybody knows what it's what it means or what it's for or whether they can trust it. It's a very common, you know, ballpark vision that people use, but you can get more specific. So I've used before um, customer. So at my previous company, we had multiple different business lines that we sold insurance and um, we had an individual customer and a group customer. Well, customer and group is a company. We're selling group dental insurance. That's a company purchasing that insurance policy for all of their employees. Well, on an individual basis, if you're buying a life policy, you're the customer. So now when somebody sees a database that says customer, what does that mean? Because it could have two very different meanings and the laws around those two meanings are different and how you would use that data is different. And maybe with like contextual clues or metadata, you know that, hey, this table is called like group customer. So it's probably group customer, right? But that's what data governance really does is we're recording that. But then also we're going a step further and we're saying, all right, I know this customer is Tim. How do I know it's actually Tim? Or how do I know it's you, Tim, and not like other Tim, right? And so that's what the metadata and the data governance and the data quality does. Data governance is a gateway and a data quality. And that's why a lot of people do data governance because you can't manage your quality if you don't know what your data means. And so you need all of that together. So th this is one of the, my pet peeves is when people say, well, why do you need a data catalog or a tool or whatever? Because uh, we can't trust our data. Because yeah, we can't find our data. I'm like, yeah, no shit, sure. I get, I get that. Tell me more. It's like, well, because they we're trying to we need to democratize data. I'm like, I, I, I get it. Tell me more about that, right? I yeah. It's that lack of, of disconnect from the true problems with an organization. So I, I, I think this is. I'm super happy you're bringing this up. That we need to have more of these data therapy sessions and like, yeah. let's just go and catalog hey, I have, all the problems we have. I have a worksheet yeah. on it. If you need to figure. How to do your data okay. therapy session? I can send you step-by-step -step instructions with notes to fill out, like you're a therapist. That would be amazing. And it's it's not hard. It takes a lot of time, right? We talked about like change management takes time and energy, and effort, but it also gets you results because now you have an actual business case, you have actual business value. If you can figure out numbers for it, you have actual dollar amounts for your data issue, and you know how you can prioritize things to fix based on that. You're not just walking around fixing everything for everybody. You are figuring out what's the most important thing and how you can save your business the most money or make them the most money through data governance. And now you can go up to your C-suite and say, hey, look at how much money I saved you. Or look at how much money we're making. Or look at all of this. And here's dollar value. And that's what businesses care about. You have your, talk about your anchor model. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go dive into this. Explain, yeah, so, so basically, you're giving them uh, an eight-hour 
a tutorial tomorrow. Shrink that to a couple minutes right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's not a lot of change management, change leadership frameworks out there in data governance, right? So here's what I think works best. Um, Anchor, uh, which I am presenting on a boat tomorrow, which is just <laughs> super is fun. Um, and it's it's a blue boat. My whole theme is blue, so that's fun too. <laughs> but um, <coughs> it's an acronym. So A is for AIM. Um, AIM is where we're going. So it's our path. And during the AIM stage, we need to do that data therapy. So we have to figure out how we're going to help people. What are we actually going to do? We got to choose a problem, one problem that we're going to solve in this process, right? Um, what we're also going to do during AIM is figure out what are the capabilities of our organization. Every organization is different. Organization culture changes. What are things that our org is good at? Um, and so that's that's step one, which is AIM. Step two is need. So in need, you're going to calculate dollar values for your business value dollar amounts for your business value, and you are going to figure out how to communicate that to leadership. So we're going to make a business case model. We're going to talk about the different aspects of calculating value, both quantitative and qualitative value, because both of those matter. Um, and we're going to figure out how to communicate that to people. Step three is, I have like little notes in front of me, so I don't forget. Ooh, nice. um, step three is community. So now that you know what you're working on, you need to bring people in. So that's where our volunteers come in. That's where our community comes in. Um, we have to figure out who all we need to communicate with, how to communicate with them. Um, we need to figure out how to recognize people that are already doing the work. And then eventually we'll need to figure out how to hire more people. So what kind of skill sets do we need for actual employees? Um, Tim was just telling me four years ago, you guys were 20 people in your company. Now you're over 100, right? What was the number? Yeah, 100, almost 160 people now. Yeah. 160. So you had to figure out what those 120 skill sets were. And so that's part of your community. Um, so it's a volunteer community, an employed community. It's your champions. It's everybody together. Um, step four is hooray with an exclamation point. Um, <laughs> because change management's hard because it's a long journey, right? And so it's important over time to celebrate all of these wins. Um, so we're gonna celebrate all of the wins, the big wins, the small wins, and we're gonna figure out how to communicate those to everybody. I'm glad you're mentioning that because when you were talking earlier about you know getting people excited about the vision and things like that, mm -hmm. one of the thoughts that came across my mind was, but how do you show short-term progress, right? Yes. And that's like the wins, celebrating the yeah. wins along the way, right? Yep, and you have to do that, right? So a lot of your people are volunteers, they need to be recognized and by, by, by showing them that you're making progress, you can do that. You also have to show your leadership that you're making progress. Um, so in the hooray stage, we talk a lot about party planning and how do you plan a really good party and how party planning is a social glue. Um, and so throw fun parties, be a fun department. It has to be a fun process for people to want to be involved, right? And that really goes hand in hand with understanding who your people are and what makes them tick. The fifth factor we talk about, the O is obstacles. And so identifying barriers and removing them. And, you know, a lot of us in the business space, we're used to talking about obstacles, right? We talk about, like, in every scrum meeting, every single morning at 8 a.m., you are talking about what your, what's your barrier in the way. So we are really focusing on decision-making bias here and how you can start to change people's culture and mindset and start to change the habits that exist in your organization so that they can benefit you and benefit this process a little bit better. What you're doing here is you're building social capital at your company. So you are creating processes and changing culture that's going to benefit not just data governance, but everything that you do. Um, and then the sixth step is resilience. So you've done all of this stuff and all of these factors take place concurrently and they take place repeatedly so they're not really in an order um they're just in the order of the acronym really but resilience is all about increasing your ability to adapt to adversity so what can we do to make this all stick how do we anchor this change in our company um, how do we make sure we can lead it in the future um, and so we talk a lot about the various types of capital that we've built um, we talk about stretching that muscle you know how do you work that out constantly and make sure that this culture change isn't just a project, it becomes a habit, it becomes a program, it becomes culture um, at your company so you can keep doing this going forward. Wow. Sorry, that was a no, lot. No, no, this, you is, said this, real this, quick. this is this is fascinating. And uh, I, okay, so a couple things. First thing immediately that comes to mind is I'm, nothing, nothing about technology, 
in, in, in your anchor model. Right. Okay. So this is a change management model, which is people processes is, and tech, yeah. right? I focus on the people because tech people know tech. Yep. And this does contain a lot of process because there are a lot of processes that are going to change, but it's all about people. People process change the same way that they process grief. There are multiple stages of change management leadership, and it follows the stages of grief. You need to get people to acceptance so they're okay with it. And it, the reason that people process change the way they process grief is because there's fear. They're afraid that they're going to lose their job or lose what they're good at or things are going to change around them, right? Um, so they're going to lose either connection or autonomy. And so through this whole process, we are putting connection and autonomy back in. We are involving people in the process of change. We are bringing them in. Instead of calling instead of calling them out, you're bring, calling them in. Um, that's a really important aspect in like DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion work um, that we're leaning on. And what you're doing is you're allowing people to be a part of that process so they have their own ownership of this change so they can help guide it within that culture to what they need it to be, not just... Um, not just we're not ignoring their fear we are addressing their fear and we're saying we understand you're scared that's okay we're gonna get through this together and we're gonna all be better including you and you're gonna have a say in that process this actually sounds a lot like therapy it, right <laughs> well tim if you need therapy i will be your therapist just call me <laughs> sounds good well i'll do some some group data therapy yes uh, no i love that um but it, it is similar right like it's like yeah. psychology um and in tech, we don't talk about psychology a lot. We don't talk right. about people. Right. And we have um, to remember that these are people have their fears, their motivations. Yeah. Um, not everyone's aligned. Governance is one of those things where the agenda isn't always unified across everyone, right? And so you have to find a way to mobilize 70,000 people to go do something you need them to do, right? Right. And like, think about any, if you've ever been at a company where they've talked about layoffs. Or like there's been, you know, the grapevine has talked about something changing in the HR world. There's a lot of fear that goes with that. And the best way to tackle fear is information. You give people information. Here's what we're doing. Here's how this works. What do you think? How can you be a part of this process? Um, we just need to put information in. I, I think somebody said the best way to um, tackle like gossip is facts. Um, and and that, it's true, right? Think about like if there's ever been a change at your company or in your friend circle or in your life, if you just had information, how much better off you would have been if you could trust that information. So we need to be that department that's saying, hey, we understand that there's some policy and you know this might be internally um, executed or externally. We might have some like the Fed or FDIC or you know, Basel, there might be some like legal concerns, which is why data governance is going in, or maybe our just, our data is bad and we need to fix it. We understand that that's an issue. It doesn't matter what's causing it. Um, as long as you can give people information so that they can help tackle it, that helps a lot. I, I love the idea of calling attention to information and facts, because I think, I think sometimes as leaders, um, we become concerned when we don't have an answer for something. Yeah. And and so when a challenge comes up, right, uh, a, a response sometimes can be to withhold and be like, we're not ready yet. We don't. We, we're figuring that out, right? Mm -hmm. And so that creates uncertainty. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it's two things. One, it's better to be honest about that uncertainty, or we're working through it, right? Uh, and secondly, you know, we always a theme that always comes up on our show is around don't boil the ocean. Right. Right. And, and if you're trying to do something so big that you're just creating this mystery around mm -hmm. it, that's going to cause a lot of difficulty for the organization, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion. Right. Yeah. Um, when if you can keep a really communicative cadence with the organization, that's going to be a lot better. Yeah. A general life rule just for everybody listening and for everyone involved. I tell this to kids a lot. Don't ever say you know something you don't know because you're the only person who sounds like an idiot. Um, oh, we're, the, we're getting the, ahead of ourselves on, 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 the, on, the, on, the, the, on the advice you have to give. But this is so true. The thing that people do the most is if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. None of us know what we're doing. Like kids grow up thinking all adults have their life figured out and then we all just like change careers drastically constantly. 
Like most adults did not go, do not work in what they went to school for. And I think we have to be okay with not being, not knowing how things Let's work. Honest, no BS here. A lot of this shit, we're just making it up as we go. Yeah, and you try it and, and see if it works. And if it yeah, works, yeah. then great. And if it doesn't work, you, you change. Learn, and you learn from that. And like, like I, I used to run a nonprofit that taught kids to code, right? And the reason we teach kids code to get girls in particular to get them into STEM is because we want them to fail in a safe environment where they can see that failure is good. Um, when you're writing code, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are tech people, you are not going to get it right the first time. And if you did, it's probably wrong, right? <laughs> it takes a long time to get good code out. Um, you're going to sit there and stare at it for days, and then you're going to realize you missed a comma. You're going to have to talk to a rubber ducky and like explain your code to them. Like that's, It is a series of problem solving and failure. And when you're solving important problems in the world, there is no guidebook. It's not been solved before. So you can't be expected to solve it the first time. And so it's the same thing with data governance. We're all doing something new at our companies. Um, hopefully, right? We're starting a new program. We're growing a program. We're doing something that's new and interesting and but, but I, learning. But I, I, I do argue that the experience, like what you're providing here, like this anchor model, and, and people have gone through that process. And I think it's what's really important is to have folks like you speaking out saying, this is what's working. This is how we've done this. Yeah. So that right. brings me to the next question is, tell me things that are not working. Let's, let's talk about some of the negative or, or not yeah. negative or bad, but like, don't do this. So you've learned. I'm curious to go, what have been the unsuccessful approaches that you've gone through that has driven yeah. you to go figure out this game? I, I think, I think the largest thing that I've learned, the biggest lesson is that you can't put a timeline on some of this stuff. You can't put a timeline on a person being okay with the change. The same way you can't put a timeline on a person processing grief, right? It takes time, um, it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of energy from both sides. And so there's not a one size fits all. And being from a tech space, and a lot of data governance folks either come from tech or work in tech, there's a lot of tech or like, you know, concrete business. We're used to data, we're used to formulas, we're used to numbers. This isn't that. There's no formula on how you make somebody okay with something. Um, and so that's a large part of it, just being okay with things going slower um, and trying out new things. So being creative in your methods so that you can figure out what a person needs and how you can get them to where you need them to be in a way that's on their own pace, but also on your pace is really important and an important lesson. There's been so many times where we've tried to rush people and then they've become mad. And now they're resistors. They're like true resistors. Earlier they were like maybe gonna go along with it. And now they hate us. And now we've yeah. built an enemy. How do you deal with the fact that and, and it very much resonates with me, like don't try to set a timeline on, on change, right? Yeah. How do you deal with the fact though that there there are timelines? Like yeah. where it's like we need to roll out this program by next year or something like that, right? right. And how do you how do you navigate that interplay of people have to accept change? I can't force change on them. Right. But also we got we got time. We're busy. We got to make yeah, money. We got we got to hit our timelines, right? Our, right. our roadmap, right? And there is a yeah. balance, right? Okay. So think about. Give me an example of a change that's happened in your career, not related to data, like an HR change. Maybe you got a new boss. Maybe you got a new coworker. Right? Something we like that. We changed jobs internally. Oh well, yeah. Like, you on the yeah. So one example could be. So I used to be our head of product management okay. at, uh, at Data.World, and about seven months ago, I switched to being our chief customer officer. So okay. That's one example that not that wasn't yeah. just a change for me, but it was a change for the organization, right? Right. So yes. so obviously you had a date when you were making that change, right? Like seven months ago, there was a date, and Laquan said, "This is it. Like you're changing position." Um, and you had to be okay with that. You didn't have to truly be okay with it. Like there's, you could have done it knowing that that's what you need to do. And then for the next few months, you were probably evaluating, like, is this the right move for me in my career? Am I good at this? What skills do I need to learn? So the people side of change management extends past that deadline for your project, um, for the deadline for that implementation. So think about like data governance. You're bringing a system and a certification, right? Maybe you have a year to do that. That's okay. But at some point in that process, not everyone's going to be on board. And that's also okay. You make it very clear to everybody you're working with, like, hey, guys, I know you're not happy about this necessarily, but I'm here to help you work through it. And we will figure this out together. We do have a deadline. So we're going to move this. We're going to classify and certify the system by this date. But we're going to keep working with you. And this is a relationship that we're forming. And we're going to keep working with you to make sure that you're okay with the way this is working. You're going to be involved in this process. 
We're going to be fully transparent. We will be here for whatever you need, right? There you go. You've made the relationship now. You've made it clear you have a deadline. Employees understand that businesses have deadlines. You have to tell them your deadline. So many people just don't. They're like, hey, we're doing this thing. And I don't know. You'll figure it out. Yeah. No, information. Give them information. And it's the same thing, right? Companies do layoffs. It's not a happy thing. Lots of, we're in tech right now. All of the tech companies are doing layoffs. There's so many tech layoffs that have happened over the last couple of years in Silicon Valley. And this is the date you're being laid off, but we're gonna help you. And it's not an ideal situation, but we have to learn to manage conflict in a way that is civilized and comfortable for people, even though we know the conflict itself is hard. You're making hard decisions all the time. They're just different scales. You just have to talk to people about your hard decision, right? Like that's, it really is therapy. Right. <laughs> but, um, transparency goes a long way. Transparency. And I, I really like what you said where like when the change is happening is not what change management is all about. It's not just about like when that change happens. Yeah. It's leading up to the change it's after the change it's the systems that we put in place to support how people will react to the change and how we're supporting them and so it's it's not just about this change is happening we have to manage the change yeah about helping people right the broader you're leading it and not managing it right. that's exactly what it yeah. is leadership is about mentorship about growth about development management is about doing this thing right now and that's why I talk about leadership. Like you are a leader, even if you're not in a position of leadership, you are leading somebody through something. Yeah. Um, you're not managing them through it because management ends. Leadership never ends. And that's the difference. So one thing related to change management is that I think that, you know, and, and Juan, I'm curious if you're seeing the same thing I am. I, I have a feeling that this is going to resonate with you too. I, I think a lot of people feel like change management is kind of like voodoo. They're like change management. Yeah, you know, some people are like, oh, that's really important. That's really important. But you like ask them about change management. They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, right? Politics or something like that, right? So, um, you know, how do, how do we demystify change management a little bit and maybe get a little more comfortable talking about it? So I think I, I don't know how many DJIQs you guys have been to or how many like data governance things. I'm guessing a ton, right? Just like me, people love talking about change management and then they just stop. They'll say change management is people processes tech. Let's move on. It's a great way you like you, you drop it into a conversation. You like change management, and people go, oh. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah we, need, we need that, and it's hard to go do. Yeah, yeah we got, and then we go into the technology. Let's move on. Yeah, but it's not slow, right? There's actual research being done in this field. So my example is nonprofits, right? So when I started my nonprofit, I knew nothing about nonprofits, genuinely nothing. I walked into the situation, no idea what was happening. And since then, I've gotten my MBA with a focus in nonprofits, and I've learned that people are doing research on nonprofits. There is actual theory and like models and research being done in that space. Who knew, right? Who knew data governance existed before they got into it? Who knew change management existed before they had to lead change? Um, there's people doing actual work on all of this stuff. And there's actual discipline that we can take from, we can learn from. So when people think change management is fluff, you can take that and you can say, hey, it's not. And here is a model, right? Here's a framework that we can give you that shows you that this is not just like made up, you need to care about people. It's very targeted steps programs that you can put into place and you it's actionable and that's i think what demystifies so, it so i i i think the the takeaway i'm having here is that if you're in data governance and you would not be a leader in data governance you need to upskill yourself and start learning and, and, and understanding the the research and the science behind change management because i think that's a crucial uh part of your job when it comes yeah. as, as a leader because you need to understand how that's going to affect you because you're going to be changing and also a lot of change is going to happen in your team and around in your your department or your team needs to help change around it too so yeah. I, think, I i think if you're going to be a leader in any space not just yeah, data governance very, or not yeah, just data or not just anything if you are a leader in literally any space you have to understand the people you're leading if you're a parent you need to understand your kid if you're leading a classroom you need to understand the kids in your classroom if you're leading an organization you need to understand your employees you're a nonprofit. You need to understand your volunteers. Just understand your people. Understand your people. And understand that's it. People. Because people do your work. 
I mean, we're not at a point yet where robots are doing data governance for us. We're not at a point yet where robots are running our companies. So as much as we love ChatGPT, um, they're not doing data governance for us. And so we have to understand our people. We can keep them engaged, um, keep them a part of the process. So before we go, we start kind of wrapping up a little bit. I got this. Here's a good question. Can you please share what are some of the real fears you came across working with management and how you've dealt with that? Yeah, so I think I think the struggle that management has with data governance, um, upper leadership, is that they just really don't understand it necessarily. So they're afraid of a very lengthy process. It's going to be super expensive. You're going to hire a bunch of people. It's not going to work. Um, change management, like change processes, fail like 70% of the time. So if you've ever been at an organization where change your change management or data governance program has failed, it's because nobody paid attention to the change management side of it. Um, so just giving people more information, giving them more comfort, and being able to answer questions, and being able to say like, hey, I'm not really sure how this is necessarily gonna work out. But here's a couple of examples of other organizations that have done it. Here's a couple of examples of organizations that have been defined. Here's examples of when data management has gone badly. And here's what we're going to do to address those issues. And then as things come up, we will address them. So you don't have to have your playbook set up before the game. It's okay if you set it up during the game sometimes, right? You're going to adapt based on what's thrown at you. And that's why you hire good people. And that's why you hire problem solvers. And that's why you learn how to manage and how to lead. Um, because then when things come up, you can do it. The problems you're going to face are going to be new. And that's okay. Um, it's okay for you to pitch your data governance program with estimates. It's okay for you to make assumptions on things that will work. Um, and it's okay for you to edit those as you go forward, uh, as long as you're providing all the information and keeping people in the loop and being honest. No BS, right? No BS. I, I, well, and it, sounds, it sounds simple, yet it's hard, right? Transparency, empathy, understanding. It's hard. That's people stuff. That's why we get paid the big bucks, right? It's hard work. <laughs> and no, but it's, it is hard. Yeah. Um, you have to be vulnerable as a leader, which is hard. Mm. You have to be okay with not knowing what you're doing. You have to be okay in ambiguity. This is not a job for somebody who needs structure. This job is never structured. You are organizing the chaos of the world. And that's hard work. It's not for everybody. Um, but you can learn those skills and you can develop and you can get better at it. So great question. I really like that one. The fears are going to change organization to organization, but they're going to come down to, you know, a few core things that we just talked about. So um, before we go into lightning around and things like that, uh, this is such an amazing discussion. Um, we talked a lot about kind of data governance in the context of change management. I know we have a lot of listeners as well that are on, you know, data teams, right? They're data engineers, data analysts, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera, analytics engineers. Uh, what role do data teams and data practitioners play in the broader sort of change management around data initiatives? Yeah, so data governance is a process that's gonna affect everybody in your organization. Um, and it's especially gonna affect your subject matter experts, your developers, people working with the data, because they, they have the information and they are also facing the issues. So I think um, it's really important to pull those people in and hear their opinions. That's why we do data therapy with them, right? Where we want to hear their side and we want to solve some of these issues for them so that they can get back to the work that they love doing um, and not work on cleaning up data you know, for hours a day and not work on solving these data issues. And then they're not up late at night solving a production issue because some of the data was bad or they're not getting bad customer reviews because data was bad. So um, it really affects everybody. And what data governance does is proactive work it's not reactive work and it shouldn't be reactive. And sometimes it is, but we want to be proactive on solving these issues before they actually become issues. We want to solve a data issue before we get fined. We want to solve a data issue before we're on the front page of the newspaper um, or we're in jail. And that's what it's all about. It's about getting ahead of it. Uh, we want to provide the best experience for our customers. And so many of us do that. This is that. another episode about reactive and proactive. We can go so much into this right now. Yeah. I remember, remember the DJQ in December, somebody was at, was when the keynotes were like, well, how many people are doing more defensive governance? It was like 90%, man. How many is doing offensive? And you're barely nobody. I'm like, so even though like, yeah. I, I get that's kind of what we should be doing, but everybody's still in the protective, right. make sure nothing happens and reactive mode, even though we acknowledge like, well, we should be more proactive. Yeah. So let me go back to the nonprofit space, right? You're solving homelessness. 
Well, first you're gonna deal with people that are homeless. And then you're gonna help make sure that nobody ever comes homeless ever again. So at the beginning, it might be reactive and that's okay mm -hmm. because there's data issues that you have to solve. So that can right? be a different lens on it, which is that um, before you can do prevention, you need to do issue resolution. You need, you need to fix the problem so that, you know, and then, and then also try to prevent the problem. They go hand in hand. So you're setting up a program and so you're not going to set it up just focusing on issue resolution. You're going to set it up knowing that you're going to make sure none of no issues occur ever again in the future. Part of that program is also solving issues that exist now. So yeah, you don't you don't teach a guy to fish. You don't give a guy fish, right? You teach him how to fish. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe he's hungry. You might need to give him. You might need to give him some fish to start. <laughs> right. That's okay. That's fine. You give him some fish, and then you yeah. teach him how to fish, and now he can do both. Yeah. So Woo! it's a combo. Uh, there is so much stuff. I'm in. in hey, time. We got like 15 minutes. We got to wrap up oh here. Oh my gosh! We can keep going. Like we're going. I, I I love how we've gone into like the analogies you're doing with nonprofits. Like this is really. Hopefully, it's people are getting the ideas of like, yeah. let me go learn about nonprofits, how they're working, and how I can connect the dots over here. And hopefully, we're doing thinking about therapy and yeah. the dots. Well, so this is well, hopefully, more hopefully people are connecting the dots to what they're doing here with whatever they're doing in their life. Right. Right. There's we can learn so much from the things around us. Because you were dealing with change constantly every single day. Mm -hmm. well, um, we were yeah. staying at a hotel and they decided to repave the parking lot during this conference. Everybody driving into that parking lot right now is dealing with some type of change <laughs> and they're managing it, right? I like how well so, you're relating it to things that it we're experiencing. To anything. Right now. That's like a, well, you can and, use and any analogy. One last thing that I'll say is your anchor framework, there's nothing about it that specifically has to be about governance. Yes, that was what yes. right, and I love that because so I really, use it for nonprofits. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm working on starting my second nonprofit. I use this framework. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking um, how I can use it for my life. You can use it for everything. So, um, it's actually about everything. All of the methodology in it, it comes from various different spaces. I, I lean on human resources. I lean on leadership strategy. Not entrepreneurship, I mean, not nonprofit. Um, and I want you to use it in every area of your life because you'll be better at your job. Um, I'm a good leader because I led a nonprofit for six years, not because I've been leading data governance. And that taught me to be good at understanding people. And you can, all these skills are transferable. And so, the best thing we can do for our careers and the best thing we can do for our companies and our jobs is learn how to transfer skills from one area to another area. So, yeah, it is, it is very generic. But I talk about data governance specific examples, and that's how I bring it back. But I want people to apply that everywhere. Love this. All right. Un unfortunately for the podcast, you guys <laughs> wrap up. But fortunately for us, uh, we're gonna keep chatting all up for a long time yeah. tonight. Looking forward to it. So, all right, we're gonna go to our next segment, which is the AI minute. You have one oh. minute to rant. Oh my god. Whatever gosh. you say about whatever you want about AI. Ready, set, go. Okay. So I feel like a big topic right now is ChatGPT. And my worry about ChatGPT, so hopefully someone can address this, is ChatGPT is pulling from the internet. So it's pulling from like blogs and things people have put online, and those people are getting monetized for clicks. And so when will ChatGPT run out of things? Because at some point, all these people who are putting their opinions online are not gonna put them online anymore because they're not being monetized for it. So we're gonna lose like this whole world of information. So I think things like hard facts, will still be available to ChatGPT. But like I use it to plan vacations. So how who's gonna who's gonna fill out their blog so I can plan my vacation? Who's gonna put restaurant reviews online if ChatGPT doesn't click on things? Um, and then the other side of it is sourcing. So like how do we know how good this information is? We talk about data quality and data quality is important, but to do that you have to know where it's coming from. And that's hard with AI sometimes. So I don't know, I'm worried about I I love ChatGPT, but I'm worried about um, this issue of lack of information. Yeah. This is a different, very different take from very past ones that we've done. Oh yeah? Yeah. No, this is good. It's probably more of like a people side traveler take <laughs> than yeah. a tech take. Well, and it's more about the utility of it, not just the nerding out of it. Well, then the next question is what we're going to see ads inside the chat GPT, which yeah. is probably going to then incentivize it. But well, but it's not it. incentivizing the people making the content. It's incentivizing chat GPT. Yeah. And that's different. That's Those are different point. things. We'll, we'll see what's I have happen. more questions for oh, you, yeah. but we'll, we'll oh, save yeah. it for dinner. <laughs> All right. Our, our lightning round. Let's. Uh, oh, gosh. I don't know what any of these are. So here's worried. the thing Tim wrote them. I haven't read them yet. So oh, here we go. Yeah, we'll all okay. find out together. We'll find out together. Oh, well, here, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> see, this is now you see how we do this live. We're doing all this right. Okay, so question number one. Does
does everyone in a company need to learn about change management? Or is it really more the leaders, the team trying to create the change like the government? Everybody. Every single person is part of this. More information is better. Can governance succeed without a very top-level, high-level executive champion or sponsor? Yes, depending on your company. So some companies are very like top-down, and so you you might need that, and some companies aren't, so you won't. Mm. And it just depends on the culture of your company. Depends on the culture. This isn't a one-size-fits-all, so it just depends on how your company works and what those organizational capabilities are that you can lean on. Nice. All right, next question. Does governance always ultimately come back to meaning and knowledge oh that's a hard one i mean data governance is about data right it's about sharing knowledge and making knowledge centralized so that everybody can learn about our data so i would say yes we're always trying to share knowledge um but that's what data is right data is all about knowledge yeah as long as it's in context so your metadata is really important yeah Data to get the knowledge, metadata, context, speaking our love. Did I hit all the, did I, did I get that, the bingo card? You, you, you're doing it, but keep it honest, no BS. Always yeah. lay the law on if we're getting too excited. All right, last question. Can you measure the value of data governance? Yes, absolutely. So there's many ways to measure value. I think the most common is like we're avoiding risks like fines or we're complying to laws, but Think about like the time of the people that you're saving, like your data analyst is cleaning data. What's their salary? How do you divide that out by an hour? How do you figure out how many hours they're doing this and how many people across your org are doing that work? There are so many ways to define value. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, and you have to. Value is the only way you can sell anything in a business. Show me the money. Show me, Show me the, the money. money. Nice. And howdy there to Joe Rice, we'll see here on LinkedIn in the chat. All right, takeaway time, Kim. All this right. You are a very wise person. Oh, There's so you. much here. I like so All right. to be here. Tim, take us away with takeaways. Right, final takeaways. Okay. So I really appreciated how you helped to unpack um, change management for us. Uh, and you said it's people, process, and tech. And your focus has been especially around the people aspect and how central that is to change management. And you have seen change management from really small organizations where you were the one person that do it all jack of all trades around governance to now a, a very large governance organization a federated governance organization with sort of centralized and then the different departments or different groups uh, at amex and ultimately even though those are very different from a scale standpoint you said that there's a lot of the same stuff going on ultimately under the hood you have to do change leadership not just change management you have to lead. You need to help the organization and help folks understand where things need to go. You need to have a vision and you need to actually really put people's motivations and, and their fears and everything that's human about us at the center and really navigate around all that and, and, and build those volunteers across the organization. So I thought that was a really great lens to kind of look about this, a very people-centric lens. Um, and you really related it to your experiences at, at, at a nonprofit, right? And at nonprofits, because you, you, you've uh, been doing multiple of them, right? Um, and at nonprofits, you have to address a problem that's largely ignored, you said. The community has a problem. You have to mobilize the effort to address it. We see something similar with governance, right? You're mobilizing a community within the organization, dealing with lots of different motivations, trying to align them, educating, training, pitching, fundraising, entrepreneurship skills, all those things that are valuable in nonprofits, valuable in entrepreneurship, are valuable in creating change, motivating change, leading change in an organization. Before I hand it over to Juan, you also mentioned about data therapy and how you know oftentimes we have to act as data therapists. We need to engage in data therapy in our organizations so that you can call in these different folks that are having problems and center the governance vision around those problems. So it's not just, we need to increase the trust of our data. It's, why does that matter for us? What specific problems are you and you and you facing? And let's align our vision around that. And tie that to money, making money, saving money, where's your risk and so Managing forth. Risk. Juan, what were your takeaways? Well, first of all, is what I'm calling this the AM, Ocrates Anchor Model. Oh, All right, <laughs> aim, anchor, aim. Where are we going with this, right? How does where the data therapy comes in? What is the problem we're trying to go solve? What are the capabilities of our organization? What's the organization good at? 
and need. We need to understand the dollar amounts for the business value, right? We need to build that business case, quantitative and qualitative value around this. C is for community. We need to bring in here because you're volunteers. You've been voluntold to do this, right? Volunteers. I think it's where the nonprofit you learn so much about this. H is for hooray. Let's go celebrate those wins, right? Big and small wins with the progress. Because if you're a volunteer, you want to like see something valuable coming out of this stuff, right? I mean, I think you're really great. You said party planning. I'm kind of thinking about the office in a way, but yeah, uh, but, but it has to be like really fun. That's probably. where it's from, party planning committee. Party planning. The social glue, like be that fun department that people's like. They actually do cool things. Like, you want to go up and volunteer there. Yeah, do a finer oh, things club. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for obstacles, right? Identify those barriers. Remove, figure out how to remove them and bring, we're building that social capital. And R is for resilience, right? Increasing the way to adapt to adversity. So that's your anchor model right there. Um, people process change the same way they process grief. This is a fascinating insight because, you know, it changes hard because they're losing things. So we need to, that, that's a great way of having that analogy right there. Instead of calling them out, call them in. Bring them into that change process. The best way to tackle fear is to provide information, to provide facts. In solving important problems, there isn't always a guidebook to this, right? I think this is a very important, I think informa bringing information to facts, that's a big theme that we have around here. Lessons learned from you is like, you can't put a timeline on change, right? You gotta go okay with change. And we talked about like, yeah, even though there are timelines, right? You still need that, that change process always is always going on. No one size fits all. Uh, tech people are used to numbers and formulas, but change management doesn't always have a formula. You gotta be creative, you can't rush people. And it's about leadership, not management. Leadership doesn't end. Change management is not voodoo, right? There's decades of research around change management. I think the, the, the at the end of the day, we want, if you're in this governance or actually anything, uh, I think leadership, like go study the science behind change management, which is important. How to get upper management and data uh, when data governance combined, like giving them information, be very transparent, provide them examples of how others are being fine, examples of success, uh, hire good people, and pitch the problem with assumptions, with estimates. That's fine. Things are going to evolve. Again, be transparent, acknowledge that there's chaos, and your goal here is to help organize that chaos. And I think we wrapped up with uh, data uh, with data teams and practitioners and change management. Uh, governance is supposed to be proactive work to solve issues before they become real issues. Uh, but sometimes you just need to focus on that problem at hand right now. So we'd say homelessness, like I we can go solve the problems right now before we're trying to go into the future. Okay, how did we do? I was impressive. You guys type fast. And you speak faster, so it works out. That was all you. <laughs> that was you. Yeah, and, and and you don't need Chat GPT anymore, right? I mean, we have one and Tim GPT. Yeah, now you can confirm that is with no Chat GPT right now. Yeah, <laughs> I just actually this is an important point because I have heard your podcast, right? And I just figured you use something like Otter AI or something to like transcribe. But you don't. You just saw the behind You're the typing. scenes. I know. Computer, I got my iPad here. That we're doing this I, all I've live. seen how it's made, and, and, it. and I all don't right. hate it. Right? All right, that's, let's, that's let's wrap it up quickly. Got three questions for you. Okay. What's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Oh, okay. So advice. Um, I think just be patient with yourself and your people and your team. So give yourself some grace. It's it's hard work. Um, and I think that's the cool thing about going to the conference. You meet other people who are facing these same issues and are overcoming them or not overcoming them. And you just learn that you're not alone. And I think that's really important. So um, give yourself grace. There's a lot to learn. And that's great. If you're in a room where you know everything, you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Go to a different room. So if, if you're in a situation where you're no longer learning, that's not good. So you're in the right space. If you're still learning, you're still listening to podcasts, you're still doing research, that's good. Um, so that's my advice. So just keep learning and give yourself some grace. Oh What's next? Who should we invite next? Ooh, okay. So I, I don't know the whole extent of who you've had, but I went to some really, really great talks this week. So um, Val Calvo um, from CBRE talked about uh, communication, and she was amazing. She has a clear model, um, and it was Fantastic. Um, Deanna Barrett is in state government in Indiana, and she is talking about data governance in the state government setting, which is fascinating because so many more government departments are starting to do it. When I went to my first conference a year and a half ago, there was nothing about government, and this time there were a number of speakers about government. So I really enjoyed that. And then um, Danette McGilvery uh, wrote the book 
on data quality. Um, she's the data quality guru. But recently, she's been talking more about this, like, entrepreneurship, as she calls it, how you're an entrepreneur, but inside your company. Um, so she has so much experience, so much great expertise that we should talk about. And then the person I learned from, Darren Hook, um, I think he's amazing and has done this at numerous companies, but he really focuses on grace and giving people grace and bringing people in. Um, and so I'm really glad he's my director and I'm really excited I get to work with him and um, we get to create effective change together. So I don't know if you wanted four, but I was it. And, and to wrap up, what resources do you follow? Yeah, Books, so, podcasts, magazines, LinkedIn, or people, newsletters. Yeah, so Dataversity has a lot of really great stuff. There's webinars throughout the year and then the conferences, which I think are really helpful. But I do a lot of Googling, honestly. Um, not ChatGPT searching, just Googling, where I'll read about change management theory. There's a lot of podcasts out there, not just in the data governance space, but in other spaces that we can lean on. Um, the hard thing about a field that's pretty new is there isn't a lot out there, right? So we have to lean on things from other fields. So think about related fields to what you're doing um, and pull skills from I love those. It. The analogies right there. I predict this was phenomenal discussion. You can now hear that the music is coming on because they're playing us off. They're playing, they're playing us, us off, off right off. now. We got to go. My Oscar speech is so, over. Yeah. But all right, with that, just quick uh, next week, we're on vacation. Tim and I, we need to take a break, we take a summer break. Uh, we got, uh, we've been doing this for three years. We're going to prepare season. Five, six, six, six now. Yeah, so next season's gonna be season six, six. six, and we're gonna start year number four of the podcast. So we need to prepare things. We have surprises. We're gonna drop some surprises. Stay tuned. We're not going anywhere. We are gonna take a break. And with that, Happy, thank you so much. Thanks, David. Thank Our world let us do this every Thanks week. For having me. Anyways, right. Cheers. 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 Cheers, everyone. Cheers. I need to catch up. <laughs> this is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.